God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in this place. Uh, it is a blessing to us to gather. And that's why we love Wednesday nights, Father, not just Sunday mornings that we gather together. Of course, we love that, but, but Wednesday nights is another opportunity for us. And we just look around this room, and, and even if we walk around our church, Father, we see so many people gathered here in the life of our church, from our choir to our, our, our students, our children, our preschool. We have leaders being trained upstairs, Father. We have groups meeting in other places discussing love tailors and projects. We got people all over this building and this place that you've given us and blessed us with gathering together to discuss how we can, can uh, take what you have given us through the good news of Christ Jesus, the gospel, and give that to others. And so, God, as we do that tonight, we just ask that you would take this time, that you would be glorified in it in every space of this property, that you would be glorified, you would be exalted, that, that your name would be lifted up in no other. Father, we pray for those in Nashville and at the Covenant Church, Father, of the tragedy of this week. God, we pray, uh, Father, that your peace would be felt, that, that surpasses, as your word says, all understanding. God, that the comfort of a Savior would be known in that place, that those families would, would through all of this, Father, feel your presence more precious, more particularly than ever before. God, we pray for not just the, the families that lost loved ones, but the, but the children that didn't, Father, pass away, that, that, that weren't killed, God. What trauma they have seen in this life. God, we pray that your, your gospel and your spirit would move through them, that they would know the hope of Jesus Christ. And just as your word says, Father, Christ Jesus has come to make everything that was wrong right again. And God, we pray you begin there. So if, if Father, uh, we, we come tonight saying as your word even ends this way, God, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And if you choose to tarry in your sovereign will, Father, we pray that while we wait on you, the hope of the gospel will ring forth from our lips. And the hope of the gospel will be supreme in our own lives. Father, thank you. Thank you for Christ. And we pray for those people at church, Father. God, we come now just asking as we gather around your word that you would be exalted here in this room as well, that we look to, to your word and that you would be lifted up. All of these things we ask in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. So, you know, there's some passages in Scripture that you're like, man, this is going to be fun to preach. I, I remember one of my favorite sermon series I did uh, at my last church was just simply called Great Chapters in the Bible, you know, so we just take you take a great chapter and look look at it, and you had Psalm 23 and, and everything. I remember I got to Romans 8. I don't know if y'all have ever read Romans 8, but I would encourage you uh, after after I finish to read Romans 8. The, in some ways, the pinnacle, the peak, it's, it's, it's there. I preached 12 sermons on Romans 8, and I could have preached 7,500. I really could. Just beginning with, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, right? You can preach that. Tonight, we're going to talk about an epod and some stones on the shoulder and a breastplate, and we're going to talk about some gold thread going through it all. Y'all see what I'm saying? 
there's some other passage that you come to and you're like, let's just see if we can't make it through this. And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to trust the Lord because this isn't Romans 8 that we're talking about tonight, but this is important. It is important. And it does, as all of it does, points us towards our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the necessity of Christ Jesus in our life. So let's look to Exodus. We'll try to get cover 28 and 29. We're going to um, look to this together and see what, see what we can find out, see what we cover. Uh, you walk through like we've been doing. Um, for those of y'all that may be new here, I started at, at Taylor's first a little over two years ago. And I started in Genesis 1-1, you know. How many of y'all were here Genesis 1-1? Y'all, look at y'all. Started in Genesis 1-1, and now two years later, we're in Exodus 28. We just kept right on going, and, and soon, soon we'll be in Leviticus. And I can't wait. I can't wait. But we're not going to speed it up. We're going to look at this and try to go through it. But even as you go through it like we've been going through it, y'all pick on me. We've been going through this so long. Ha, 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 ha. Allison, tonight I was talking. She said, what you talking about? And I said, Exodus 20. I said, she said, what passage are you on? I said, 28. And she said, oh, Leviticus? I said, no, Exodus. She said, oh, you're still in Exodus. <laughs> so I thought 28 she should have known. But even in that, there's still so much here to cover that we're not going to be able to cover. So we're still just going to hit the highlights, even running through this. So let's look together at this. And if I can remind y'all of what we are doing, we're in the book of Exodus. We have seen the Lord go and get his people out of the bondage of slavery and sin in Egypt, deliver them out. He delivered them out in such a powerful, glorious way so as to depose all of the false gods of Egypt, show their impotence against the true God of Israel, display his power over the king of that nation who thought he was a god, and so he displayed all of that. And if that wasn't enough, he destroyed the enemies of God's people in the Red Sea. He led them out as Moses walks out. The Lord leads them through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Lord's presence is with his people. When it was time for them to be protected from the back, the pillar went to the backside so as to protect them. God has protected. God has provided. God has given everything for his people. He's marched them through. The moment they started grumbling because there wasn't anything to eat, the Lord provided food for them. The moment they started grumbling because there wasn't anything to drink, the Lord brought water from a rock for them. He took it. Everything God has done is to, to pull his people out, but he's got a purpose for this. He's calling his people out, fulfilling the promises, remember, that were made to Abraham in chapter 12. They're a great nation. We saw that in Exodus 1. Now he's taking them to the promised land. That's the purpose. Why? Because the God of Israel wants to dwell with his people. He says, you will be my people, I will be your God, and I will dwell with you. And what we've dealt with when we got to Sinai is the Lord establishing the government by which it will be possible for the God of the universe to dwell with his people. Why? Because his people were sinful. And he says, you got to be holy. 
If you're going to live with me, you must be holy. So let me give you the big 10, right? Here's the standard by which we govern ourselves. Let me walk through the case law with you. Here's how you handle situations so that you can love God and love your neighbor. Let me give you all that. And now, as we saw last time we were together, the Lord says, if I'm going to dwell with you, we have to build a place for me to dwell with you. And that becomes the tabernacle, this temporary dwelling place of God on earth that is movable, that can move along the tent that will go with his people throughout. And he teaches them, as we saw, that they will, not only gives them the law, he then gives them this building plan. He tells them how to build it. He tells them what pieces of furniture he needs. Why does it have furniture in it? It's got a lamp. It's got a bowl. It's got some bread, show bread in there. Because this is a house that God dwells in. That's what it looks like. And not only that, he teaches them about this Ark of the Covenant that will be built. And this Ark represents the footstool of God. His king, his throne is in heaven. His footstool is on earth. This connects these two. And so this is in this holy of holies. This is where God dwells with his people. So God's people, they don't have to question God's presence, right? They simply open up. They're wondering about it. They open up their tent, look outside, and they see over this tabernacle the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. They see God's presence. When that presence moves, what happens? Y'all better go to. You see what I'm saying? Let's go. The Lord is on the move. It moves out. When it stays, this is where we stay. It's God's presence dwelling with his people. A holy God with an unholy people. How is that possible? We're starting to see that in chapter 28 29. What's going to need to happen if God is going to dwell with his people is there's going to need to be some men set apart as priests to intercede on behalf. All the people of God can't just pop up into the tent, right? They all can't just enter in. There has to be someone who intercedes for them, someone who comes in on their behalf. And so chapter 28 and 29 starts to deal with Aaron the brother of Moses, who will be appointed as the priest over God's people, and those people after him, his family after him, will be the priests over God's people. And now that's going to concern, it's going to be concerned now, how they even dress, how what they even wear to come into God's presence is important. We should note that all of this detail goes into, for us, an understanding of how important it is for us to be properly attired to be in the presence of God. God is not overlooking any detail. There's nothing inside. And remember, Christianity is not a contract negotiation. It is not as if you look at Christianity and say, all right, Lord, here's what I want out of our relationship. And here's what I need from you out of this relationship. And the Lord says, well, here's what I need for you. Well, I can give you this, but I can't give you that. We can. Christianity is God saying, here's how it's going to be. Do you want to, do you want to dwell with me? This is how it's going to be. And so that's what we see here in Exodus. The Lord sets the standards of how it's going to be for his people to dwell with him. And the priesthood needs to be established. It needs to be established. So let's look there together, going into the priestly garments. We went through and did the furniture, and now we look at this priestly garments. And, and, and I, I'm going to try to read some of this. It's a lot, but let's, let's understand a few things. The importance of clothing in Scripture. The importance of clothing. Prior to Genesis chapter 3, 
everybody wore nothing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't need, I mean, I can say I got to watch how it is because I never can tell. Again, I can't, sometimes you don't get above your raisin. And I can't ever remember if it's supposed to be naked or naked. You know what I'm saying? I don't, those two things start running together in my mind. But Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. Now, remember last week we talked about this a little bit. The garden in and of itself was a sanctuary with God, like, like the temple. Like this tabernacle. The tabernacle has all this garden motif in it. It's got, a, it's got a lamp that looks like a tree. It's got embroidered all of these tree-like images on the, on, as we talked about last week. On this. So it's like a garden motif with the tabernacle itself. So it's almost as reminding the people of when they dwelt with God in the garden. That was where God, God walked with his people. He dwelt there with them in the cool of the day. The garden motif is even in the tabernacle. So it's reminding them of that. And when they came into that garden, remember, God made them. And it made a point. After, in Genesis chapter 2, after Adam was created, and then sleep came over him, took the rib, made his wife. Adam sang, you know what I'm saying? Busted out in a song, you know, bone of my bone and flesh. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so you had him there happy as could be. And it ends chapter 2 with a very important phrase. They were naked. See what I... I Patience I did, how I purposely spoke that word. Naked and not ashamed. And that's important. That's important because what happens in Genesis 3? The peace that was there between God and man was broken at the rebellion after Adam and Eve sinned by falling for the temptation, casted them. Remember, Adam and Eve fought through the temptation that was given to them through the serpent, that they knew better than God, that they could figure this out on their own. God had told them one thing. They said, maybe he's not right. I know better than him. Heart of what sin is, we think we're our own God and we know better than him. And so they thought that. And as soon as they ate and the Lord calls them out, what did they realize after they ate? First thing, they were naked. Naked. They went from naked to naked. Y'all know that works. Naked is just taking a bath or something. Naked is up to no good while you're doing it, you know. <laughs> so they went from this to that. In a moment, what changed? Sin. And when they realized it, in their nakedness, they were inappropriate before God now. They were not fit for his presence because of sin. They were not fit. So what did God have to do? After God came down and said, let me tell you how it's going to be now, and he pronounced the curses because of sin, what did God do? Who, who offered up the first sacrifices in Scripture? God himself. God, in his graciousness and kindness, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And God, in his gracious and kindness, sacrificed animals, took the skins of those animals, and covered Adam and Eve to make them appropriate before him now. That animal skin sacrifice now makes them appropriate to be in God's presence again because sacrifice has been made, and they've been covered. Their sinful nakedness has been covered. So clothing throughout Scripture is important, right? It's, it's a covering of our sinfulness. It's a, it's a covering of our shame. It's a, it's a testimony to that. Before, it wasn't this way. There was no shame. There was no sin. Now we have it. And so that covering makes important sense to us. Here's where you come in, in Exodus 28. 
Because when the priest goes in, what he wears now, he has to be appropriate to come into the presence of God. He has to have something on that, that allows him to come into that presence. And God is going to say, here's what it is. So in chapter 28, we see it, verses 1 through 5. Bring near to you. Got the, you got the, tip, the tabernacle. You got the, the furniture in place. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. I didn't even practice those. That just rolled off my tongue. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful who I, am, who I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments they shall make, a breast, a breast piece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Here he gives these garment regulations. Here's what we're going to make. And he says it's for two reasons. One, we're going to do this for glory and for beauty, he says. We're going to do it for glory and for beauty. In other words, the, uh, another, another version translates this to give them dignity, to separate them out from the people. So there's two reasons to do this, for glory and beauty. This, this testifies to who God is, the honor that's there between God and his people. God's glory is represented in his presence, and these priests should be a testimony of that glory. And so when you see it, they've got this gold piece on. They've got the purple. They've got the fine linens. It is beautiful to testify to God's beauty. So what they wear will testify to the glory of God and the beauty of God. But it'll also do something else. It says in verse, in verse 3, it's for glory and beauty in verse 2 and to consecrate them for my priesthood. In other words, to set them apart, to make them holy. These aren't my priests. This is not an outfit that you were to be able to buy at the local five and dime. This is not something that would be used anywhere else. You wouldn't make a copy of this. This is not for anybody to say, man, I saw the priest wearing it like it's a jersey or a uniform. Let me wear it. This was a, 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 uh, an outfit that was made for the purpose of the priest to set them apart as that's the one that belongs ultimately to the Lord. That's the one to go to him. And that, that's the one who can, who can enter into his presence. That's the one who can go and intercede on behalf of the people. That's the one who has a special office. Here, by the way, that's what we're seeing. Israel, the Lord is establishing his people. And we'll see throughout the history of Israel that three offices will be established in Israel. Two of those offices is the prophet and the king, right? We'll see those come. Moses is considered a prophet. We'll see, we'll see him come in. We'll see how that prophet role continues to speak God's words to God's people. We see the king. That will be established after through judges and the turmoil of the judges and finally where they demand a king. We'll see how that king is established. That's that office. But that third office or the, uh, the first one, maybe, I don't know which one it is, but right here we see the priesthood, the office of the priest. The prophet, priest, and king. 
These are the three offices of Israel. And what we see here is the establishment of one of those offices, the priest. This is a special office, whereas this person would be dressed in such a way to speak to the glory and honor of God and be set out as that is a role. That is an important role in the, in the life of Israel and God's people. That's what this was for. So let's make him an outfit that is fitting we can go through some of this stuff. You have first there, verse 6, they made an ephod, which is like a, like a long apron, if you will, that would be on this, on this uh, priest. All of this going together just kind of describes what that looks like and how it is to be made. He puts the, shone, the stones down in verse 12 on the chest. He puts them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, and you put this as the remembrance of Israel on the shoulders, gold, uh, filigree on there, two chains of pure gold, twisted cords. You shall attach the cord of chains and the sections, uh, settings. Long section next, the breast piece of judgment shall be put on. And this breast piece will have these four rows of stones that will be 12 stones and the names of the tribes will be on those stones. And so ultimately what you have is when this, when this priest goes in, he's got the names of the tribes on his chest and these pieces, these stones on his shoulder have the names of the tribes on them. So he's carrying the weight of the people on his shoulder and he has the names of the people on his heart, right? And so on his heart and on his chest, he's carrying, he's bearing the weight of the people on his shoulders and he's got them in his heart. So he has this beautiful imagery of the priest entering in, geared up with his people on his heart, bearing the weight of their sin and their life on his shoulders. You have not only the, the breast piece, but you also, you also have there the blue robe that will be put on in verse 31, a robe of the ephod, all of blue, blue representing the throne or the temple itself in heaven. You know, this idea that this one is, is rep working in God's throne room himself. So you have the blue, you have that on there as well. You shall make a plate of pure gold. You have a plate that is put on. That plate will have engraving holy to the Lord, set aside to him, speaking to the holiness of God that is there. Fasten it on the turban by a cord, which will be put on the head, holy to the Lord as you walk in, set apart. You keep going, that gold medallion there, holy to the Lord. Then you go down, verse 39. You shall weave the coat and checker work of fine linen. You shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. Here you have this beautiful, beautiful array, as it says earlier, of, of uh, all of these colors, if you will, setting apart. Blue, purple, scarlet, gold thread, all of this, this splendor, these stones, these, this... Uh, this thing set apart for, for the people as the high priest goes in. But that's not all. You have verse 40. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put on them, uh, you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. And you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Anoint, ordain, consecrate. All of this is the language holiness. They are set apart for holiness. They are mine. By the way, you remember that holy just means set apart, ultimately. I mean, that's what it means. and it's, it's the all-encompassing way that we describe God. God is holy. 
He is altogether different. He's set apart from us. And so when God calls us holy ones, which can be translated for us, y'all know that, that, that New Testament word saint. When God calls us holy ones, saints, means that we have been set apart for him. We've been set apart for him. So these priests are set apart. They are different. They have a job to do. That job is highly important as the weight of the people rests upon their shoulders and upon their chest in their heart, and they are to intercede on behalf of the people for God. They've got special outfits that testify to that glory, that beauty, that majesty. They've got it all. The clothing they wear is something special for them. Not, but not only that, not clothing. Look at what it says in verse 42. Don't oversee this. You shall make for them linen underwear to cover their naked flesh. Y'all see that? Y'all ain't never noticed about holy underwear, have you? Y'all ever heard about that? <laughs> That's exactly what he says. Why is this? If you remember back in Exodus chapter 20, I want to say it's chapter 20, verse 26. I'm going to look back there just so I ain't lying. Um, you have this interesting passage. When the Lord says in verse 26, you shall not go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Y'all see that? What in the world? Well, it was the tradition, and oftentimes we've talked about this. Many of the things that God would do here was to differentiate Israel from the other nations. And many of the priests, and this is, this is, this is interesting, Many of the priests in other nations would offer up sacrifices naked before God, before, the, before their gods, which is a testimony that they didn't understand the true God. You know what I'm saying? Like nakedness was one of your shame and guilt, and now you think you can bring that. They would offer it up. And so what's happening here is said, hey, even when you walk up the steps, you need to make sure that your nakedness is covered. In no point. At no place should you think that your nakedness should be seen by others or by God. So he even says, as you're wearing this robe here that goes up, make sure, make sure you got it protected by making holy underwear, right? Y'all see what I'm saying? That's in the Bible. I'm not trying to make stuff up. <laughs> they shall reach from your hip to the thighs. I mean, this is intense. And they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to the holy place, lest, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. It means that when you go in, you have owned this gear, you have owned this outfit, this is what is acceptable before God for his high priest to wear. Y'all see what I'm saying? This is what's required for the high priest to step into the presence of a holy God. This outfit and make sure, doubly sure, that your nakedness does not come into this place because that speaks to your sinfulness. Make doubly sure it doesn't. This is what's required. Then you go to chapter 29. After you see what's required of them to wear to go in, now you're going to talk about how they have to be consecrated themselves. They've got to have sacrifices offered on their behalf before they can even go in. Before they can offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, they've got to offer sacrifices on their own behalf. If they don't, guess what? They die. You can't come into the presence of God not having your sins atoned for. And so they have to offer sacrifices. And you see even these sacrifices that come, they have to be made holy. 
You have the first sacrifice. Let's get the introduction here. Now, this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd, two rams without blemish, an unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, which, by the way, you remember, you're unleavened. It speaks back to that Passover time, right? And, and, and why was unleavened important at Passover? It's because we ain't got time to let that bread rise. The Lord is coming for us. And so we don't have time to let the bread rise here. That's why he told them on the night of the Passover, go ahead and get dressed, sandal up, put your belt on, put your staff between your feet, have it ready to go because when the Lord calls you, it's time to go. No tarrying, no waiting, no holding back. We ain't got time to let the bread rise. We'll eat the unleavened bread. And it's a testimony to our constant waiting on God for him to call us, him to call us. So we go in and he says, you eat the unleavened bread mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Wash them with water. Then, then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with skillfully woven band of the ephod and you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. You shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes, bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Does that sound like a lot to y'all? Does that sound like a lot of detail? It sure does to me. That's what it takes. That's what it takes to be holy before God. You read all that and you think, my goodness, that's a lot. That's what it takes to enter into God's presence. That's what it takes. So he goes on. First sacrifice, a sin offering has to be made. Verse Verse 10, for their purification. Second sacrifice, verse 15, atonement has to be made for their sins in thanksgiving. Third sacrifice, verse 19, the, the priests must eat together in fellowship with one another, symbolizing the fact that they're in fellowship with one another and with God. They make a sacrifice and eat together in the third sacrifice. And you continue on in that. You continue on. It says in verse 22, you shall also take fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long robe of long lobe, excuse me, of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh for it is a ram of ordination and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron, on the palms of the sons, wave them for for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands, burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. The word ordination here is used. Ordination means filling, if you will. Aaron's Aaron and his son's hands are being filled by what they receive from the sacrifices of God. They're being filled as they go in from what they receive. And I read this, and it's simply, you're like, my goodness. All of this is necessary. 
And we go back. The Lord, by the way, again, is not trivial or trite in any way. He's not messing around. This isn't a prank. This isn't like, let me see how all the stuff I can make them do and, and just keep putting on them. Every single verse, every single instruction is required to enter into God's presence. Everything. In fact, you misstep on any of these, and it means instant death because nothing unholy can enter into the presence of God. Every single thing is required. Everything. Keep going. Verse 33, they shall eat these things with which atonement was made on their ordination and consecration. They eat this. That's verse, 20, uh, verse 33. Verse 35, you keep going. It says, thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. And here's my point. Through seven days you shall uh, ordain them. And every day, seven days, y'all getting this? Every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also, you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it. You shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. Here, not only do you have this, this sacrifice, this sacrifice, this three sacrifice, now you have daily sacrifices that have to be offered. And, and, and I feel like the thrust of this verse is getting us again, my goodness, the amount of blood that has to be shed, the amount that has to be done in order for us to enter into the presence of God. This is that, that week of that offering of the, the atonement before God, right? Yom Kippur, he's, he's saying this is how it must be done. If you're going to enter in, all of this has to happen. All of these bulls have to be killed every day. These things have to be offered up. This has to be it. This is it. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old. This is verse 38. A year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of hen of beaten oil and a fourth, hen, fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. You shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma of food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at an entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak with you there. I will meet with you. I will speak with you there if you offer these things, there I'll meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. All of this has to be done. The Lord says, I will meet with you. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. But look there at the last, 45 and 46, which gets to the point of the passage. All of that to be done, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. Here's what it takes for my people to live with me. You've got to set somebody apart, holy unto me, in glory and beauty, send them in after consecrating them with all of these sacrifices, send them in to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. And when that is offered in just the way I have told you, then 
I will dwell with you in peace. Then I will dwell with you in peace. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. In verse 46, and they shall know. Remember how this all started? When the Lord spoke to Moses, he says, my people will know me. They're going to know me. Remember when he sent him to Pharaoh? What did he tell Pharaoh? Oh, you're going to know me. Pharaoh said, I do not know the Lord. And the Lord said, oh, he's going to know me. He's going to know me. And the Lord is making himself known to his people. All of this was done before they had the text written down. Y'all see what I'm saying? But that didn't mean they didn't know him. All of this ritual, all of these sacrifices, all of this that was offered was how the people of people of God knew who God was. How did they know his holiness? Because the only way they could enter into his presence is seven bulls had to be killed on seven days and the offering had to be taking place and this guy had to be wearing that and that's the only way. And they had the pillar of fire, pillar. That's the only way they would know. God is making himself known to his people. You will know me, he says. You will know me. Know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Remember what the Lord says. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. Not because, not because they were just some special group, right? He brought them out because they were his people. And he says, I have saved you. All of this they're doing now was not to be done to be saved. It was because he has already redeemed them out of the land. I've already saved you out of slavery and bondage and sin. Now here's what it takes to dwell with me. Here's what it takes because I have saved you and I want to live with you. Here's what you do now so we can be together. That's what it is. But then we get to two simple points. All of this we have here. Everything in this. The book of Hebrews tells us that the blood of bulls and goats could never save us from our sins. The blood of bulls and goats could never qualify us to be in the presence of God. Well, what in the world just happened here? All of this that God was doing was painting a picture for them Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And all of this that God was doing was painting a picture for them. Y'all remember my illustration of the Old Testament painting the picture. Every story is another breaststroke. All of this is the Lord painting a picture that there's coming a day when I will send finally, ultimately, and completely the great sacrifice on behalf of my people. That's what he's doing. We're looking for the day when bulls and goats are blood spilt no more. Where is that great sacrifice that is coming? And what we know, as the author of Hebrews says, is bulls and goats could never, but there was one who was sent, who was the perfect sacrifice, once and for all, never needed again. And all of this stuff that you see right here, it has all been fulfilled. The Lord didn't just say, it's done and it's over. The Lord didn't just say, hey, remember all that stuff the Old Testament? Forget about it. No. The Lord fulfilled every ounce of it, every qualification, every little, every little jot and tittle was fulfilled in the ultimate and great sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And how did he enter into God's presence on that hill? Not with the umim and the thumim on and the breastplate and the beautiful ephod. He was stripped to nakedness and slain on a cross for us. He took our guilt and our shame before God, and he bore the very punishment that we deserve in our place, naked on the cross on our behalf. He carried the weight of his people on his shoulders. He bore his people in his heart. He was torn in two like the covenant sacrifices on behalf of his people. He was the sacrifice that shed his own blood. And my friends, what it also tells us is that now because of what Christ has done, we all can enter into the presence of God as the priest ourselves, right? First Peter tells us, for we are all priests before God now. And you say, where is my fancy robe? Where is my fancy ephod and my 12 stones? And what I say to you is you got something far more beautiful than that. Something far more glorious than that. You have been made appropriate before God, not with an ephod and a sash and holy underwear. You've been made appropriate before God, covered in the righteous robe of Christ Jesus. He didn't come to patch up the robes we have. Y'all get what I'm saying? He came to give us a whole new robe. And now what allows us to enter into the presence of God is the righteousness of Christ Jesus, our great and final sacrifice. And so we are priests before God because what? We don't have to offer up seven days of bulls and goats. We don't have to go through the ritual so some wafer with oil and all that nonsense, thank the Lord. We don't have to deal with uh, having our outfit in the right order. In fact, we can come sometimes all messy and screwed up and messed up in our mind, but we're covered with the righteousness of Christ. So we enter in to the presence. We don't even need to wait on a day anymore to enter into the presence. We come anytime we want to, anywhere we want to, because when Christ died, he said, now come boldly to the throne of God. You think Aaron and the priests went boldly up into the throne room? I guarantee they didn't. They're sitting there hoping everything was done right and in order. They're praying that it was worked out. You know what I'm saying? They're hoping, my goodness, all the wafers had enough oil on them and they had all that other hen of this and a hen of that. Y'all know what I mean. Their underwear was tightened up enough. They're going in there concerned that this is right. Friends, if you are covered in the righteousness of Christ, you have no, con no concerns. He is enough. He has covered you, and he has called you to say, come to me boldly, not in fear, but boldly enter in. And what we have here in Exodus is a great testimony of what it takes to live and dwell in the presence of God. And what we have in Christ is a testimony of what he has done on our behalf. He fulfilled it all. So now we have a perfect high priest who doesn't need any of this other. And now we have a perfect clothing where we are clothed in the beautiful righteousness of our Savior. The glory and the beauty is in Christ Jesus covering for us. The consecration of his people, the one who made us holy, is in Christ Jesus covering for us.
we thank God. I read this stuff, and I thank God for Christ. And my friends, here's what I tell you. When you read your Bible, you should come away from every chapter. You should come away from every verse. You should come away from every passage thanking God for Christ. And when you do that, you have read it rightly. Thank God for what he has done for us in our Savior, that he has covered us and he has welcomed us. We don't need a bunch of, I don't want to slaughter a bunch of bulls, right? That sounds nasty. Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus has washed us clean. We don't need it anymore. Let's pray to him. Father, thank you for Christ, who he is, and what he's done. As we look into this Easter season, may it be a reminder of us, of our Savior who went to the cross on our behalf. On that, on that cross, Father, he took our sin. He took our judgment. He bore the weight of his people on his shoulders and in his heart. And God, there, there, Father, he sacrificed himself, not bulls and goats, himself, the perfect sacrifice for us. And God, we praise you that now when we are in Christ Jesus, we have been washed clean by his blood and we have been covered in his righteousness in our royal garments, Father cannot be stained anymore by this world. So God, we come boldly before your throne right now. That's what we're doing at this moment, calling on the name of our great high priest as we enter in like Aaron and his sons did. We enter in right now into your presence and we say, God, mold us and shape us more and more every day into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for covering us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for dwelling in our own lives through your spirit. Now help us to be better believers, better followers, more faithful every single day. Thank you, Father, for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.